Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Legal Tax Junkie. Today, we're going to discuss setting up a nonprofit entity. I get approached by a lot of folks who want to set up an organization, and these folks think, well, if I'm not making a profit, it's nonprofit. Therefore, I shouldn't have to pay tax. Well, it doesn't quite work that way, and you can't just say it's a non-for-profit organization. However, people try, and you'd be amazed, or maybe not, that there are a lot of scams out there, and the IRS is all over it. There's a lot of misinformation disseminated out there about targeting, things like that. There's a lot of scams. I see it from my practice, and I'm sure a lot of folks can share with me and all of you out there in legal tax junkie land, horror stories or maybe amusing stories about folks who are trying to set up a nonprofit and think they're entitled to those tax benefits. Perhaps my law firm could be a non-for-profit entity. No, I think not. Wishful thinking, but someone actually did propose that to me. I have to say, it won't work. We're not talking about, by the way, a volunteer income tax association and things like that. We're not talking about that, and there are some entities who are involved with that, who are who could be considered to be nonprofit. Uh, legal aid could be one of them. We're talking about a law firm that someone proposed to me. It's a for-profit entity. Anyway, so if you're starting a 501c organization, and that's the code section that we're dealing with here in order to get this exemption, what are you dealing with? Well, before I get into the types of 501 C organizations, and there are a lot of them. A misconception that seems to be out there is, well, if I declare myself to be a 501c entity, I'm all good. Or if I just say I'm nonprofit, I'm all set. I sort of alluded to this before. The purpose is must be actually a recognized not-for-profit purpose. But also, what people overlook is you have to file entity documents with your particular jurisdiction. So whether you're in a state or a district of Columbia, you have to file your entity documents and then you have to apply to the IRS for the exemption. That's how it works. Now it can be retroactive, you get it, assuming you have the proper purpose and your entity documents that were filed were accepted. But you have to go through those steps. And I find a lot of people don't do that and you need counsel to prepare those documents and they also have to be prepared a certain way in order to attain this goal. So let's get into the types of 501c organizations or exemptions. You may have heard of Major League Baseball, get tax-exempt status. Well, it's a type of 501c organization. The problem is most people think of 501c as 501c3. So it's a common uh, exempt organization, but it's not the only one. In fact, there are 29 kinds of nonprofit organizations that are exempted from federal income tax. Each is kind of 501c3, or five, excuse me, 501c nonprofit, but they address different needs or uses. In fact, only two of these 29 can solicit tax-free donations. But let's talk about 501c3 because that's the most common one or most common type of a 501c nonprofit organization. Now, typically, these entities have you know, charitable purposes, educational purposes, religious purposes, and they don't turn a profit. They also create a non-political public good. Thus, any donations are tax deductible. There are some 
places, for instance, that accept donations of furniture, clothing, things like that. That is actually tax deductible. Then there's uh, C4 organizations like civic leagues, social welfare organizations, associations. And those folks are technically allowed to lobby to further whatever mission, social mission they have. Then 501, you know, C5 is labor, agricultural, and horticultural organizations. C6, business leagues, chambers of commerce, real estate boards. Then there's C7, social recreational clubs, C8, fraternal beneficiary societies, associations. You have member fees and donations that sustain those groups. So we go back to these 501c3 organizations. What does the IRS have to say about this? Well, read this straight from the IRS's mouth, or at least its webpage. To be tax-exempt under Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code, an organization must be organized and operated exclusively for exempt purposes set forth in Section 501c3, and none of its earnings may inure, I love that word, to any private shareholder or individual. How about that? In addition, it may not be an action organization, which means it may not attempt to influence legislation as a substantial part of its activities, and it may not participate in any campaign activity for or against political candidates. You'll hear the term charitable organizations, common description for 501c3 entities. Now, beware. We mentioned about tax-deductible contributions. You look to Code Section 170 for guidance and regulations, of course. We mentioned before about earnings not inuring to any private shareholder or individual. Well, in addition, the organization must not be organized or operated for the benefit of private interests. If an organization engages in an excess benefit transaction with a person having substantial influence over the organization, an excise tax, that's a dirty set of words, it may be imposed on that person. Assess. Assessment is a dirty word, by the way, in the tax world. The IRS likes to use the word impose. It's really an assessment. Dirty word. And any organization managers who agree to the transaction are subject to this. Excise tax. Now, I mentioned about lobbying, political and legislative activities. 501c3 organizations are limited in that respect. Can't really do it, in other words. So I mentioned at the outset of this episode about purpose. And to those of you listening out there, you might think, that's crazy, right? Why are we, why are we even talking about this? You'd be amazed by folks who, like I said, have come to me, have some convoluted purpose, whether I understand it or not, that's another issue, but whether it actually promotes a public purpose is an additional issue. And I don't know if folks have thought this out when they come up with this idea of this nonprofit entity. They just think we're exempt from federal taxes. We're okay. And you even have those, just to go off on a small tangent, but 501c6, you know, these business leagues, the problem with the bees business leagues sometimes is that they usually, well, some of them anyway, organize to turn a profit. You overlook that small requirement, meaning you can't turn a profit. And you have these professional organizations that claim to represent the common interests or business interests of its members, but they get caught in the trap. They engage in these activities 
that are customarily associated with efforts to earn a profit. That is a big problem. The mission, as you would call it, has to focus really on advancing the interests of the community, the trade, or the, ind- or the industry that the entity serves. And that seems to be overlooked. Now we talk about tax. Well, let's talk about CPAs. There could be professional association of CPAs, and there are. And they conduct these educational campaigns about the benefits of working with a CPA, or you can lobby for legislation favorable to the profession. Okay, that's fine. But the organization can't engage in the practice of providing fee-based accounting services or focus on promoting the services of a specific CPA firm. Now, it is important to note that these 501c6 organizations do engage in lobbying activities, but they have to disclose to the members the proportion of membership dues that are in use for such a purpose. The American Bar Association. There you go. That's another one. Now, I mentioned forms. We're getting a tax exemption from the IRS. You've got to fill out some forms. 501c6, form 1024. 501c3, form 1023. Those are the two big ones we'll focus on. I mentioned there are 29 types of nonprofits. But in addition... Every year, you got to file that sticky Form 990. Show the outside world who are the donors, who are the big folks in the nonprofit. And it's not just a quick and dirty one-page form. No 990 easy. It can be quite lengthy, depending on the size of your nonprofit. If you do not fill out or complete a Form 990, you lose tax-exempt status. That is overlooked quite a bit, or at least enough for we tax attorneys to take notice. Don't do it. But it is overlooked because one forms the entity and one might have a CPA, get the exemption, that's fine, but then one doesn't use the CPA after that or the tax attorney and just doesn't do anything. And they forget to form out, fill out the Form 990, complete it, sign it, file it, and we have this problem. One issue that has come up in recent times is limited liability companies, since that seems to be the entity of choice for most folks. And the IRS issued a notice back in 2021, titled Notice 2021-56. They require or construe 501c3s to require the following in both their Articles of Organization and the Operating Agreement in order for an LLC to be recognized as exempt. There's some tricky requirements or perhaps overlooked requirements. One, each member of the LLC must be exempt. Two, express charitable purposes or charitable dissolution provisions must be present. Three, there are compliance provisions that are necessary, especially if the LLC is a private foundation. Four, is there some contingency plan in the event one of the members ceases to be exempt? That's overlooked, not just in this nonprofit arena, but in a lot of situations. The contingency plan, it's missing. Also, the LLC has to represent that all the provisions and its articles and operating agreement are consistent with applicable state law and are legally enforceable. And if the LLC is formed under state LLC law that prohibits the addition of provisions to articles of organizations other than provisions required by state law, the notice will be deemed satisfied if the operating agreement includes these provisions and the articles do not contain any inconsistent provisions with the operating agreement. And you can read more in this notice about these standards. And these are standards that the LLC must satisfy to receive a determined termination letter, recognizing it as tax exempt. There is an organizational test under one of the regs, 1.501c3-1b. That was created prior to the enactment of the first LLC statute in the United States. So if you're looking at regulations, they don't specifically address LLCs. 
I mentioned that because, like I said, LLCs seem to be the entity of choice. And for those of you who are looking to start a nonprofit entity, in addition to all these requirements I have discussed, be aware of this particular notice. Maybe not a good idea to bore yourself with some of the, the details or in the notice. Hire a tax attorney or CPA to review it for you and discuss. Um, but it's there. So know that if you want to create a nonprofit entity, there are requirements. Don't just claim yourself to be a nonprofit entity and expect the tax benefits associated with this particular type of entity. Know that you have to actually complete documents, sign documents. Don't try and prepare them yourself. See an attorney. If you don't see uh, a tax attorney, including this particular legal tax junkie, see your CPA. But even then, the CPA can't prepare the documents, at least some of them, for you. You need your corporate entity documents. The CPA will prepare the required filings for you, of course. But be aware of what's needed. And I think it's a good idea for you to think about what is your purpose? What are you trying to do? I think there's a reason for these requirements. You can't just claim you're not-for-profit. Think about what benefit are you providing? What public benefit are you providing? I think a lot of people don't think about that. And you will discover when you look at some of these forms, not the 1023-EZ, but the full 1023, for example, there are some interesting questions that are posed and it forces you to think. So consider that after you listen to this podcast of the Legal Tax Junkies. Thank you for listening to the Legal Tax Junkie podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that the information I shared today can be helpful. I want to encourage you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, and anyone you know that would benefit from this podcast, especially if you are a CPA or a financial planner helping individuals, entrepreneurs, and business owners in their tax planning. If you have any legal or tax-related questions, I'd love to help. Remember, this is not legal advice. Nothing in this presentation is intended as legal advice. The information contained herein is general information only. Please consult an attorney to discuss your specific facts and circumstances. So if you would like to talk with me directly about your specific situation, please feel free to contact my office directly at 240-283-1162. You can also email me at aabrahams at myersherbets.com or aabrahams at M-E-Y-E-R-S-H-U-R-V-I-T-Z.com. You can also visit my firm website at www.myersherbits.com. That's all for this episode. Thank you again for listening to the Legal Tax Junkie Podcast.